Dan Bongino. I have an obligation to come on the air with data and material and research. I can't just say, trade stinks. Thanks for tuning in. The Dan Bongino Show. Well, let's jump right in because we have no time for nonsense. Get ready to hear the truth about America. When I was a young man, I don't remember it being sexy to want to allow a nanny state to control my life. On a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Renegade Republic of the Dan Bongino. Producer Joe, how are you today? Man, I'm all right. It's just... Uh, I don't uh, It's I... It's, uh, Unbelievable. I mean, I wake up this morning like most of you, and I'm watching this report about what went down at the, this concert in Las Vegas, this mm-hmm. country music concert, and you're just, you know, floored, flabbergasted. You can't put it all together. It's just insane. But uh, you're, you're going to hear a lot of press coverage about this today, so I, I put together some thoughts and some things, some takeaways that I think uh, you might find uh you know, in some hopefully in some way uh, useful. So the first part of this that really struck me, obviously, have given my prior line of work in law enforcement and security planning is, folks, this is a new day for law enforcement because we haven't seen something like this since the 60s and elevated shooting like this and from an elevated platform uh with with so many victims we're looking at 50 plus dead and 100 injured for those of you listening to the show and do not know what happened i I should have you know i hate when i do that there was a a man who uh you know motive is still unknown booked a room on the 32nd floor of the mandalay bay uh punched out the window and with an automatic weapon uh, with automatic meeting one depression of the trigger multiple rounds just so there's no confusion here I know on TV sometimes commentators don't know what they're talking about get that backwards but with an automatic weapon uh, mowed down a crowd of people down below at a country music concert killing 50 injuring uh, looks like up to 200 people now now Again, takeaways to not waste your time and to not repeat the media coverage uh, you're going to see on a lot of the news networks. The dangerous thing about this uh, that I think is going to change everything is elevated platforms are inherently dangerous, and here's why. You never want to be down looking up at a shooter for one obvious reason, Joe. Uh, your covering concealment options disappear. Mm-hmm. A shooter from a ground platform, so God forbid you were in a scenario where an active shooter pulls out a firearm and starts shooting at you, you can see cover and concealment because the bullet is going to run relatively parallel to the ground. You see what I'm saying, Joe? So if you get behind a car, the bullet is going to be intercepted by the car, the engine block or something else. If you Mm -hmm. manage to find, and I'll get into covering concealment in a second with what the difference is. When a shooter is firing from an elevated platform, everything you've been told, duck and cover, goes away. Right. It doesn't matter because what are you going to duck behind the car? Now, it may give you some element of cover or concealment, but it's certainly not going to give you the element it would if the bullet were traveling parallel to the ground. If a bullet is traveling at a 45 degree angle to the ground because it's coming from an elevation, Joe, Mm -hmm. obviously, if you're behind a car, you can most likely at some point still be hit. So uh, also other things you've been told, again, duck and cover, get on the ground and stay low. Staying low, if it's coming from an elevated platform, ironically, in some cases may actually hurt you, especially if you flatten out on the ground. Mm -hmm. Because if the bullet's coming from, imagine from a bird's eye view, if you were dropping a bullet on someone, if you're you're on the ground flat, you create a bigger target than if you were just standing because you would only, it would have to hit the top of your head if you were standing. You see what I'm saying, Joe? Yeah. So the 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 elevated platform and the sniper type attack from a from a distance here creates a lot of problems for law enforcement because everything people have been told and they've been teaching people about 
massive, uh, you know, these uh, active shooter, these massive uh, casualty events uh, really goes out the window. Now, what's the difference between cover and concealment? Cover is... uh, Cover is something that provides some level of bullet resistance. So an engine block to a car, uh, you know, a fire hydrant, it's not great, but it'll give you some level of uh, some level of protection, right? Mm-hmm. Concealment will only conceal you. So if you hire if you're hiding behind a curtain, let's say, that would be concealment, but it's not cover. Now, cover can be concealment too. I mean, if you're behind a bullet resistant window, that's cover, but it's not concealment. But if you're behind a cement wall, Joe, that's cover and concealment. Right. But again, being behind a curtain is only concealment. I just wanted to put that out there because, again, it's a, ta- uh, a tactical terminology that I use. And I want to make sure you know what I'm talking about. So I'm not just throwing it out there. But those options go away from an elevated platform uh, on this. Uh, one other point. There's always a lot of confusion about automatic weapons. Again, an automatic weapon is one depression of the trigger, multiple rounds. A semi-automatic weapon, and I'm please, I'm not talking down to anyone. I know 90% of my audience gets this, but I promise you folks, you would be stunned how many people don't understand the difference. Mm-hmm. A semi-auto is one depression of the trigger, one round. So one depression of the trigger, gun goes bang. Automatic, one depression of the trigger, the gun can go bang, 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 and can keep going until you stop or you run out of ammunition, okay? Now, why am I bringing that up? Because it's clear from the sounds of the shooting and the tapes we've seen uh, mm-hmm. and the videos from the phones show that this was obviously an automatic weapon. The rounds are coming at such a cycling rate, such a high rate that there's just no way he was pulling the trigger individually as you would be required to do with a semi-automatic weapon. Also, if you're watching the news coverage and you hear all these just, and Joe, I mean, you want to talk about just, I mean, a horrifying video. This is really hard stuff to watch. Some of the video yeah, I've is seen some shit. Of it. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! I mean, give me goosebumps just talking about it. I get just God rest the souls of the people who died. I hope the Lord gives the strength to the families and their survivors, to people mm-hmm. you know, to get to get through this. This is just an unspeakable tragedy. Uh, but it's clear from the cycling rate from the videos that this was an automatic weapon. Now, to obtain an automatic weapon in most of the states in the United States, well, it's federal law, but states have different regulations. But the federal laws that govern it, it's 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 a lot more difficult to get an automatic weapon than it is to get a semi-automatic rifle. So that says to me that I'm not sure, I'm speculating a bit, forgive me, but this may have been obtained illegally. It's very difficult to get an automatic weapon um, if you have any kind of a criminal history because the ATF, there has to be a transfer of a tax stamp, a cancellation of a stamp. Uh, you'll hear them referred to as class three dealers and things like that, but it rec- the ATF has to approve each transfer. It's not a, It's not just a standard NICS check. It's uh, the, um, the, the, uh, the instant uh, check system for guns. It's an extra level of scrutiny that goes through the transfer of an automatic weapon from a dealer to a person. So I'm, I'm kind of guessing, but uh, I, I think he may have obtained the weapon illegally. We'll see what happens when these, when these reports come out. But folks, again, my you know, uh, it's it's really just it's a tough subject to talk about. But I think those are some takeaways. And I think you're going to see now which one more quick thing and then we'll move on. I have some other stories to get to today um, as well. Uh, I think you're going to see in the future a 
rewriting of the crowd control and large event security planning for law enforcement. Now, when I was with the NYPD, when you have large events like this, you know, the Times Square ball drop and things like that, Joe, Mm -hmm. the NYPD, I know, already uses a counter sniper program. Um, but a lot of local police departments um, won't. Um, they won't because of a number of reasons. It requires a significant amount of training. Most shooters will train out between 500 to 1,000 yards. This requires constant requalification and the constant reciting of weapons. You know, when the Secret Service drops into a country with our counter snipers, um, I mean, I'm not going to go into how they do what they do for obvious reasons. Just know they do it. They have a a shooter and a spotter. Mm -hmm. And we're looking for things like this, Joe, looking for opening open windows. And there's a way to call out locations where they are. Mm Mm-hmm. But those weapons have to be sighted in on each trip. Um, there's also constant training. Uh, they have to adjust for all kinds of things: elevation, windage. You have to, you know, get your, you make sure the 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 uh, the the weapon is aligned appropriately. So it's a big, heavy program to engage in. It's not as simple as say, taking, say, a, a standard patrol officer Joe off the street, sticking him on the roof with a sniper right. rifle, and saying, "Hey, look for a sniper." That's not the way this goes. There's a way to grid this stuff out. There's a way to work with a spotter. There's a way they're going to call it. There's specific things they're looking for. This is a real really, really intense uh, program. And I think you're going to see now, um, as with a lot of these transformative, tragic events, uh, a, a rewriting of the police security plan for these large events. And I think you're going to see the employment of counter snipers and spotters at these events in the future. All right, folks, today's show brought to you by our friends at uh, My Patriot Supply. Uh, They specialize in preparedness. I want to thank everyone who I think they've had a significant bump in business after these uh, tragic hurricanes. I'm going to get into Puerto Rico in a couple minutes, too. We have so many things going on right now, but we had Irma, Hurricane Irma. We had Harvey. uh, You had Maria. All these devastating hurricanes. Folks, I can't emphasize to you in strong enough terms how important preparedness is. Uh, We live in tough times, and people have lived in a lot tougher times than us, but there's no question we have some significant challenges right now. We're heavily dependent on the food chain supply. If that supply is disrupted significantly like it was in Puerto Rico, folks, you're out of luck. You got to prepare yourself. Please go buy an emergency supply of food. I am hoping and praying you never need it in your entire life. And I think my Patriot supply is too, but God forbid you do. Better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it, especially for the very small cost of $99. They will give you a one-month supply of emergency food. They will ship it right to your house. Just $99. It's available at preparewithdan.com. That's preparewithdan.com. They're individual packets packed into a box. All it needs is water to prepare. It's good for 25 years. Folks, please pick it up. Prepare yourself today. Preparewithdan.com. Just $99. Okay. Um. What should I get to? Let me go to Puerto Rico next, because this is just a disgrace. Uh, What's happening in Puerto Rico is uh, just beyond disturbing on a number of levels. Uh, There are multiple attempts right now to politicize the event and to make this event uh, George, uh, excuse me, Donald Trump's George W. Bush Katrina moment. Now, Folks, none of this is based in any kind of fact. It's based on the political wishes of Democrats who want to damage President Trump. And I have to tell you, it is. um, I I mean, what's the word, Joe? Makes you want to vomit, makes you want to retch. I mean, you want to talk about sickening. You have people in Puerto Rico right now. I told you about the email last week who are, I mean, really in in an atrocious situation. Situations getting better by the day. 
but it is it there's, there's struggles for water there's struggles for medicine the food supply has been disrupted yeah. and now i'm unlike the liberals i'm going to get into some both downs so the downsides of the trump response and the upsides here's the upsides first and the reason i'm talking about all this is the san juan mayor a woman by the name of carmen cruz um has decided to politicize this event and has attacked trump now the most disgusting part of the attack joe i don't know if you covered this story this morning in your show but a bit, yeah this was what's really horrifying. The San Juan mayor, who is a total political hack, decides to give a press conference bashing Trump, saying how they're, they're, they're dying and the Trump administration's response has been not satisfactory, despite the fact, Joseph, that she was doing it in front of boxes of yeah. aid, literally aid, mm -hmm. sent over by us to help. So, you, you know, you would think if you had half a brain, which this, this I, I mean, I can't get over what this woman's doing. It's so disturbing. You would think what she would have done is if you're going to give a press conference criticizing the president for the lack of aid is not give the speech in front of boxes of aid. Folks, I'm not making any of this up, okay? Yeah. Um, I had a ball be in my show notes today. Thank you to everyone who joined my email list. We got... I think 300 new subscribers on Friday night alone at Bongino.com. I will send these articles right to you. She is giving a press conference about the lack of aid in front of boxes of aid. Now, the problem with this, liberals are piling on. We've seen uh, the, the renegade Republican show's favorite idiot, Paul Krugman, who ha magically has a PhD in economics. I don't know how uh, th this guy is just <laughs> devoid of any common sense. Paul Krugman, I'm going to send an article from The Blaze out in the show notes today. Paul Krugman was criticizing the president for an outbreak of cholera in Puerto Rico. What? Well, the problem, Joe, criticizing the president for an outbreak of cholera, and you would think you would have done some vetting in advances. There has to be actual cholera and cases of cholera, right? I mean, Joe, right, yeah. if we're going to talk about, let's say, Joe, you're up in Arnold, right? Yeah. In Arnold, Maryland. If we're going to talk about an outbreak of the hantavirus in Arnold, Maryland, uh, we would assume that at least one person had contracted the hantavirus, correct? Yeah. Uh, is that, now, is anything I said controversial here? But this is Paul Krugman, who's a liberal. He's not an economist, folks. He's a partisan hack who wants to go after Trump and destroy Trump. So reason goes out the window. Paul Krugman is almost immediately corrected by the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. Which, which it says there's there is no out, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no outbreak of cholera in Puerto Rico. Now, to be fair, he corrected himself and's like, well, okay, there's no cholera, but oh, what do you mean there's no cholera? But like that was your whole thing. Like that. This is the point, folks. There are people out there not interested in helping right now. They are interested in the politicizing this event now. To show you how ridiculous a lot of these uh, false accusations have been that Trump isn't doing what he can. There's a, a mayor from an adjoining um, uh, uh, location right there next to San Juan. A guy that goes, uh, it, what was his name? Perez Otero. Goes by them, sorry. His name is Perez Otero. I've got it, folks. I've been at it all morning, rocking and rolling with this thing. I mean, I'm just like, I've been up for five and a half hours already. I always love my show, but this has been a tough one to put together given the tragic events today. But a mayor from an adjoining uh, location who knows the San Juan mayor criticizing Trump. This is a quote from him about her lack of participation in the recovery effort. So just to be clear, <laughs> the San Juan mayor, Carmen Cruz, this woman's criticizing Trump. And yet she hasn't actually been attending the meetings. Here's the quote. I've seen other mayors participating, but she's not. That's a quote from an adjoining mayor who has, has none of the critics, shares none of the criticisms about the Trump administration that this mayor uh, does.
Burn. Also, the yeah, I mean, it's just unbelievable yeah. that Rossello, the governor over there uh, in Puerto Rico, has not shared any of these criticisms about the Trump administration either. Folks, this is just unbelievable. They're trying to politicize this. Now, the why matters, folks. Why are they doing this? Now, one is obvious. They just they're Democrats. And, and sadly, not all, but many of them will politicize anything. Matter of fact, Joe, uh, we have a tr- obviously a tragedy uh, in in, in uh, Las Vegas this morning. It will only be, I'm sure, minutes before liberals start politicizing this event um, as well, before they even have yeah. the facts, because that's what liberals do. Uh, but Puerto Rico, you know, folks, I know some of you are going to doubt this. Please don't. To footnote and steal from Rush Limbaugh, don't doubt me, right? That's his line. The Puerto Rican vote is a very crucial vote in Florida. Florida is a swing state. The presidency, as we know it now, cannot be won without Florida. It's very, very difficult for the Republicans, that is. Mm-hmm. Florida has an enormous number of electoral votes. It is the third largest state in the country. Florida is an absolute necessity. There is a heavy population of Puerto Rican voters in Florida concentrated very specifically in Orlando, which is north of me. There are Democrats right now who understand, and I know you're doubting me, don't. Don't do it. There are Democrats now who, regardless of the response in Puerto Rico, Joe, the president, this thing could have gone flawlessly. There are Democrats right now who understand if they can drive a wedge, a further wedge between Puerto Rican voters and the Trump administration, that they could take Florida in the next presidential election in 2020. You may say, oh, that's sick. With a national tragedy going on, Mm. it is sick, folks, and it's happening. Why else would Democrats, by the way, this this mayor and these other folks go after Trump when they're being completely refuted by people on the ground? Even Geraldo Rivera, who has been, a, a, you know, at times a critic of Trump, who works for Fox News. Geraldo tweeted out to the San Juan mayor who said people are dying. He said, where are people dying? We'll help them. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. He's on the ground in Puerto Rico. Now, to be fair in this show, because that's what we do. The response has not been seamless. Obviously, people are struggling. Food's drying up. Water's drying up. There are long lines for ATMs, long lines for gas. Here are two areas we could have fixed this, and I think we need to improve upon. The Jones Act, which means American flagged vessels have to dock in Puerto Rico. It can't be foreign flagged vessels, right, Joe? Okay, yeah. This is basically, a, I'm sorry, folks, but it's a sop to shipping carriers or, you know, or, or U.S. shipping carriers. And I know that sounds mm-hmm. great. You may say, well, we should be favoring our U.S. shipping carriers first. Folks, that's great. That's wonderful. Unfortunately, that's not the way the world works. We live in a global economy. And when you eliminate competition in shipping lanes, like any elimination of competition anywhere, what happens? Prices go up. Yep. This is just common sense. If there are two bagel stores competing for the price of a bagel... They're undercutting each other's prices, which works out well for you. And you eliminate one store because it's got a foreign owner. Then the other bagel store can raise its prices because it has no natural competitor. The Jones Act wipes out foreign competition from from uh, ports on um, from, basically from ports. And what's happening in Puerto Rico, Joe, which, you know, newsflash is an island, which most of you know, yes. which Trump was quick to point out needs shipping lanes. I mean, it's very the essence of the supply chain is built around its ports and shipping lanes. Now, Trump did uh, waive the Jones Act for 10 days, meaning foreign flag vessels can go in there and start to pl- start to supply stuff. This is not a good call, folks. I'm sorry. I, you know, again, I support the Trump administration when it's fit, when, you know, when we see fit. But you have to 
the Jones Act has to go away for the Puerto Rican recovery, and here's why. There is no way one right now, 10 days, is going to make any kind of a difference. This has to be long-term. Some of these ships are going to take 10 days to get over there, right? Mm, yeah. Secondly, Joe, Puerto Rico is going to be a massive rebuilding effort. I mean, a, a, a rebuilding effort like we haven't seen in Puerto Rico. In, in it's, it, it, You're talking about cement. You're talking about wood. You're talking about construction supplies, employees. Yeah. This is all going to have to be sent over there. It's all going to have to be shipped in. And wiping out competition in shipping lanes is only going to increase the cost. So the Jones Act has to go away. But secondly, another a big flub on the response and this is goes on the locals and on some of the uh some of the local fema officials on the ground as well is wall street journal has a piece today by mary anastasia o'grady who writes about a lot of issues in south america that the in puerto rico is not south america obviously but she writes about that stuff a lot um the entire backup power system joe was built around a generator system as most are Mm -hmm. The problem is there wasn't enough diesel to back it up, um, and they're having a tough time getting gas in there now. So, you know, just on a quick preparedness note, she makes a good point, and I'd like to pass that on to you. Folks, you can't rely on the government. The local and state and, and, and federal officials on the ground, you, I mean, they really, that part of it, they screwed up. You can't have a diesel power generation system uh, with no diesel power. I mean, this should be obvious. Now, again, I don't put this on Trump. This is the kind of planning that should have gone back decades, Joe. You live in an island that's within a hurricane zone. So my note to you before I move on, because I got a couple of other stories I want to get to here. Folks, you have to be prepared. You can't rely on the government. I know many of you know this. Have a generator in your house. Obviously, have a supply of gas, whatever the fire code, however much gas you can store. I would keep that much, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, some it's fire code, you're not allowed to keep uh, stored more than, uh, say, I don't know, I think in Florida, I mean, 10 gallons or something because of the fumes and, uh, you know, pilot lights and stuff like that. But whatever you can keep, keep it. Be prepared. Water, food, this matters. You can't rely on the government. I think Puerto Rico is a really sorry example of how government, when it can, will fail you. But blaming this on Trump, Joe, again, is just uh, ridiculous. These people should be ashamed. This guy's doing the best he can right now with very limited resources to get in there and a whole bunch of logistical nightmares. So please, let's let's put the politics aside for a moment. All right, today's show also brought to you by our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition. And gosh, I'm going to need these guys today. They make an energy product called Dawn to Dusk. And these are the days I look back and I, I, I'm thankful that they've given me about 50 bottles of it. Dawn to Dusk is a time-released energy pill. The problem with the energy market before these guys got in at Brickhouse Nutrition, my buddies over there, is you have one of these energy drinks or coffee, and you and I know the feeling, an hour or two later, you're just incapacitated. You can barely move. You've got nothing left in the gas tank. Well, these guys said there's got to be a better way to do this. Now, I've spoken to the doctor they work with who has a heavy hand in designing these products. They said, why don't we time release it? That way, you don't get this massive spike and then this massive low. So what you get with uh, dawn to dusk, which is available at BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan, is you get a nice elevated bump in your mood and energy level for about 10 hours. I get rave reviews about this product from everyone from CrossFitters to MMA people to working moms to people on assembly lines to pilots. Uh, By the way, I call him Cliff all the time. It's Clint. Clint's the (laughs) pilot. Clint, I got your email. I'm sorry. Clint, but quick side note. My grandfather's name was Cliff. And my brother, my brother's uh, middle name is Cliff. That's why that happened. It's Clint. I'm sorry, Clint. I say that all the time. So no, no but he, he lo- they love this stuff. It's really, really good stuff. Give it a shot. Go to BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. 
That's BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Send me your reviews, too. My email is Daniel at Bongito.com. I really appreciate them. And I pass them on to the owners of the company. They love it, too. Okay. Oh, gosh. This one's really upsetting me. So I was in for Levin on Friday night. And, Joe, the Democrats are uh, losing it. They are absolutely losing it over this tax cut plan. And they are, you know, we did the show last week. We we put together on Friday. For those of you who, who binge listen. Um, you'll be able to, uh, hold on one second, skip someone just, uh, I'm getting all these calls because you know, whenever I do Fox, I get all these calls from talk radio people and it's like digging into my phone here. My, my, uh, you know, my, 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 my show, this is what I do. This is how my money maker. Let me do my own show. Gosh. So liberals are losing their minds and they're trotting out the same sorry talking points about what's going to happen uh, with this tax cut. It's going to be a tax cut for the rich. The government's going to lose money. We have to pay for it. And I always find that amazing. What do we have to pay for? Now, just to show you how you remember Jason Furman, I bring him up all the time. He writes yes. op-eds for the Wall Street Journal. Right. He was a, uh, an economic advisor to Obama. He has an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal again. And you can always count on Jason Furman uh, to write in the Wall Street Journal. You know, I guess they want both perspectives or whatever. But to propagandize you into believing things that aren't true um aren't he's going to try to manipulate you because this is what he does so here's a quote from the piece about the tax cuts right he says defenders of large unpaid for tax cuts argue that we cannot bring down our deficit without higher growth growth has been too low for too long and raising it should be a top priority but no serious analyst has ever claimed that tax cuts generate enough growth to pay for themselves folks you know i'm really getting tired of this now the reason I bring up Levin on Friday is because I, I don't take callers on this show, although I'm thinking about starting, especially if liberals want to call in, because yeah. I, it's just comical. I don't. You didn't hear Friday's show, did you, Joe? Uh, no, I didn't. Well, Friday night, I'm in for Levin, and I bring up this tax cuts thing, and I put out the data I put out on the podcast we did. How yeah. if, And here's a simple question for all of you listening to my show that I'd like you to pose to your liberal friends. Tell me an income tax cut. Whether it's Reagan's, George W. Bush's, Calvin Coolidge, John F. Kennedy, tell me an income tax cut that has, quote, cost the government money. Number one, a tax cut can't cost the government money. As I've repeatedly said, if a person walking down the street is attempting to rob you and then changes their mind, you didn't cost the thief money, okay? It's your money. It's, I don't owe the thief anything. You live in the United States as free people. You know, so, this is crazy, Joe, but sometimes we forget. I mean, we mm-hmm. legitimately forget this. We think we work for the government. The government works for us. Let me be crystal clear on this. We are under no obligation, no obligation morally. I'm not talking about legally. We are under no obligation to pay other people for the fruits of our labor. Now, as a constitutional republic, we have all agreed to a tax structure to finance certain collective necessities, such as a military and a court system. We've agreed on that through our constitution. But you are under no moral obligation to finance the United States government. I would argue you are under a great moral and ethical obligation to help your fellow man if you happen to be a Christian, a Jew, or any. Any other faith that than most of them do obviously involve the world not being just about you. But that's not a government obligation because the government doesn't help people in my experience. Now, the fact that Furman talks about the tax cuts this way is deeply disturbing because the question, again, I pose to people is tell me an income tax cut that has cost the government money and show me the data. Folks, they cannot do it. Please go back to the show notes from last week's show and we discussed this and link on to that tax foundation, whatever it was, 
article. And you'll see clear as day that after those tax cuts, government tax revenue went up. Now, that leads to question two, because liberals can't answer question one, because there isn't a tax cut that led to an immediate decrease in tax revenue to the government or one extended over time. They can't. That's just a fact. (laughs) The second question, Joe, what causes deficits? So because this is the problem I'm having, a guy called in a liberal at the Levin show and he goes, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you're saying that these income tax cuts didn't cause a decrease in government revenue. But the Reagan years, there were heavy deficits. Now, he hadn't listened to the show earlier or the show I did that day where I already clearly point out that the Reagan years, we ran up one point eight trillion in deficits. There's no denying that. But, Joe, the question is not did we run up a deficit or not? The question is what caused the deficit, right? That's Mm -hmm. what we want to get to. Mm -hmm. The government deficit during the Ronald Reagan years was not caused by tax cuts. The taxes were cut and revenue to the government went up. What also went up correspondingly was government spending. Spending. So let me get this straight. If you're making the argument like Jason Furman is, that the Reagan years, the tax cuts didn't work because deficits increased, you should be saying that the tax cuts somehow led to decreased revenue. But that's not what happened. Revenue went up. The deficits went up because government spending went up as revenue went up. Folks, what's bizarre about this conversation, and I mean this genuinely, mm-hmm. is nothing I'm telling you is particularly complicated. Not only is it not complicated, it's not even complicated for you to figure out. Just go look at the tax tables. It's very simple. I have them in the show notes. Tax cut. Revenue went up. Well, why did the debt go up? Oh, because we spent more money. So the problem is clearly government spending. Now, the crux of Furman's piece is exactly this. It's a manipulation. Here's what he does again. He's saying, we, we, have no, we can't do this right now. We can't do tax cuts. You won't be able to, quote, pay for it, which, again, there's no moral obligation for you to pay the government anything, okay? But we need to pay for it. And he points to a couple of things, but let me show you the trick. Here's the trick they use. Uh, there's another op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, by the way, about the Tax Policy Center. This is a separate piece altogether. The Wall Street Journal piece, let, you know what? Let me dial it back. The, the Furman premise is, again, what I just told you, that deficits go up when taxes are cut. I'm telling you that's not true. Taxes are cut, revenue goes up. Deficits go up because the government spends more money. The second premise I want to make, I don't, I don't like it when I disconnect ideas and the show then sounds a little disjointed, so my apologies. The second op-ed piece is a utter deconstruction by the Wall Street Journal of the Tax Policy Center. The Tax Policy Center is one of these left-leaning outlets that Democrats go to every time for talking points to try to get the American people to politically move against tax cuts. Now, what did the Tax Policy Center point out uh, almost immediately after this tax cut proposal came out? They said, well, Joe, it's going to cost the government. 2.4 I'm trying to do Joe's talk show. You know when you do the puking thing? Oh, yeah, Danny. It's going to cost the government $2.4 trillion over 10 years. I don't know how. Can you do that for me? It's going to cost the government trillions of dollars. Uh, (laughs) There you go. You got to puke that out a little bit. They still calls it puking on the radio, right? Folks, $2.4 trillion over 10 years. Oh, $2.4 trillion. Whoa. That's a Wolfman (laughs) Jack moment right there. Now, you read something like that, or, you know, the rank and file American citizen working for a living, they're like, one, I don't personally, I don't. I don't. I read this stuff. I laugh it off because it's mm. nine out of ten times that the economic analysis is childlike. 
But you read a number like that and you think it's real. You're like, well, the tax policy center, that sounds legitimate. This has to be real. But folks, here's the problem. Mm. How do they know that? that? I mean, no, seriously, like, how, do you, how do they know that? And the reason I ask how they know that is the journal points out. And, and if any of you read the tax bill like, like I did, uh, it's not a billion. I'm sorry, the proposal. Mm. Nobody's released the income brackets yet. So how the hell do you know who's paying what? So here's the point, Joe. They want yeah. they want to eliminate uh, the we have seven brackets, they want to cut it down to three. Right. They want what is it, 10, 25, and 35%. percent hmm Okay. Well, how have you judged how much money, Joe, quote, is going to be lost and is going to cost the government? How do you know how much money it's going to cost the government if you don't know who's paying what rate? They have no idea. They're you understand, folks, they're just guessing. This is a total scam. It's a joke. Now, I'll put the piece in the show notes today. Read it. Because they talk about another scam these people do, and they rely almost exclusively on static uh, static analysis. Now, I've addressed this before, but it's a critical thing for you to understand because it's a scam Democrats pull every time. The Democrats assume that if you make $100,000 and you're at a 35% tax rate, mm-hmm. and you go down to 25 the Democrats assume they're going to lose $10,000. What do I mean by that? <laughs> if you're at $100,000, Joe, that's your salary. Mm-hmm. A simplistic static analysis, you're at a 35% tax rate. 35% of your income is $35,000. Right. The Democrats assume that if you cut Joe's tax rate to 25000 that he will then pay 25%, excuse me, uh, cut his tax rate to 25% from 35%, that he will pay 25000 rather than 35000 The government will have lost $10,000. Now, some of you listening are like, well, that makes sense. No, no. folks, it doesn't. Because that's not what happens. I already told you tax revenue in a number of these cases, as a matter of fact, in all cases, significant cases of tax cuts by the government has gone up. Because what happened? Joe may be paying a lower rate, 25%. But Joe's salary, because of economic growth, by keeping money in the economy to grow and not being sucked up by government, which has no capacity to grow money, folks, at all. It has no incentive. It's other people spending other people's money on other people. The government doesn't care about cost or quality because it's not their money and it's not their product. Milton Friedman was a genius on this. Government doesn't multiply money. The private sector does. Free markets multiply money. When you keep money in the free market, it multiplies. It's divided in government. So what happens? Now Joe is paying that 25% tax rate cut he got. Remember, he was paying 35 before, mm-hmm. folks. Mm-hmm. But he's paying it on a $150,000 salary which is a significantly bigger tax bill for him than he was paying before at the 35%. Mm-hmm. Folks, you get what I'm saying? I mean, imagine, let's do even simpler. Let's make this really super simple, right? Say Joe Sarah doubles, now that's a lot. But just to exaggerate the example for a moment so you understand what we're doing here, if Joe's paying 25%, on 100000 that's $25,000 in income. Yo, the government would have lost money. He should have paid thirty five. Say he makes uh, his company doubles in size and he makes $200,000 a year. Joe's now paying $50,000. Mm. There's a big difference. This is what the Democrats, so they want a static analysis rather than what we would call dynamic scoring. And when they do use dynamic scoring in certain committees, what they'll do is they'll attribute the growth to something, everything other than the tax cut, anything else other than the tax, which is just, you can't win. So in other words, we had a boon in, uh, in tax receipts after uh, Bill Clinton cut the capital gains tax rate. Yeah, folks, Bill Clinton, he hiked the income tax rate, which was a bad move. But he did cut the capital gains tax rate. What happened? 
capital gains tax revenue, folks, went up because people invested the money they had in, in companies and stocks. Companies, uh, you know, moved up in size. They paid their workers more. The point I'm trying to make here is that the Democrats will never admit that was due to the tax cut. They'll be like, well, it was due to the growth of the Internet at the time or something. Well, what was that due to? Due to money in the economy. What was it? <laughs> what was it due to? What was it due to? It was due to the, what was it due to? <laughs> to, T-O. It was due to growth in the economy because money multiplies in the free market. It's divided in government. This is not complicated stuff. Come on, guy. You haven't used that one in a while. For those of you old time listeners, come on. <laughs> this isn't complicated to figure out. So uh, just a quick takeaway from this, from the journal piece. This tax policy center analysis, when your liberal friends bring it up, how it's going to cost the government money, mm-hmm. ask them first what evidence they have of that. Where did the income tax cut cost the government money? Tell me one. Just name it. Oh, Reagan. Not true. Income tax revenue doubled. Well, we had deficits. Yes, because the government spent more. And secondly, the tax policy center analysis, if they quote this number, oh, but government's going to lose $2.4 trillion. How do you know that? How do you know that? They haven't seen the income levels yet that are going to apply to the taxes. You have no idea. They're just making this up. They're just making it up, folks. It's really disgraceful. All right. Um, hey, um, little hat tip to the Trump administration here for their appointment of judges, by the way. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but the Trump administration has been knocking it. And regardless of your take on Trump, he has been knocking it out of the park on federal judge appointments. They just nominated Don Willett and James uh, Ho for the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Mm-hmm. Stuart Duncan as well. Folks, these are really high quality appointments. Uh, Again, regardless of your feelings about Trump, I have listeners who are very pro-Trump. I have some who are, you know, maybe Trump and I have some who are never Trump. You know, we just give the facts on the show. But I'm telling you as an independent observer of this, his appointments have been phenomenal. You can knock them on what you choose, but going after them about judicial appointments, these are really high-quality conservative judges, Don Willett specifically, with a, a long history of being on the right side of the law. So uh, really good nominations coming out, and I think it's because he's working with the uh, Federalist Society over there. Hey, um, one last story sent in by a listener, which is, you know my frustration consistently, Joe, with third-party payer systems, single-payer yeah. healthcare, and government-run healthcare. Here's a story out of Canada. Uh, this is it's again it's just a warning sign for those of you out there considering single-payer healthcare. There's a story about the Canadian government, Joe. They spent a hundred and ten thousand dollars to avoid giving a kid six thousand dollars in braces. The kid, yeah, they the, the mother, the kid had some kind of a jaw problem with his yeah. teeth. Mm-hmm. So he was from the First Nation, and he said, "Listen, we need braces." And the, a couple of the orthodontists said, "If we don't fix this, he's going to have some significant jaw problems later." The Canadians spent one hundred and ten thousand dollars in legal fees to avoid paying for six thousand dollars in braces, folks. I can't explain this to you in more in, in, in more in more you know. Gruesome terms like the yeah. government is it their their interest is not in helping you. The government, when they're spending other people's money on other people, has no incentive whatsoever to get you health care. They have every incentive in the world to avoid giving you health care because there'll be very little political penalty for them and there will be no personal penalty at all. So when you read, I'll put the story in the show notes, check it out. Again, a ter- another example of a third party payer. Again, the government, right? You have, uh, 
the the party who's the consumer, you have the party who's the doctor, and then you have a third party payer, the government. There is no incentive whatsoever to produce high quality health care in a system like that. None. And a case like this just magnifies. But I don't want to over dramatize, you know, single subject cases. I but this is one you really need to read because no no free market company would ever do this. Nor would any individual pay $110,000 to avoid a $6,000 bill. It would only happen when it's covered. All right, folks, thanks again for all the reviews at iTunes. We're closing in on 550 reviews. I really appreciate it. And uh, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or iHeartRadio or SoundCloud. It really helps us, uh, you know, uh, not, uh, find out who our audience is and, you know, wh- where you guys are from and stuff. So we really appreciate it. We don't get any of your personal info, obviously, from it, but it gives us a good idea of uh, where we're growing and uh, the kind of content you all like. So subscribe to the show at uh, Bengino.com. Subscribe to my email list there as well. I really appreciate you tuning in, and God bless the victims of this uh, real tragedy and love. Las Vegas. See you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.